Thank you, Rick, um, and thank you, Mort, for your kind invitation uh, to be here, to be able to share with you all the ongoing progress in Waldenstrom's uh, macroglobulinemia. I also had the privilege of sharing in the care of Bruce Waterfall, and uh, it is really a, a tremendous honor for me to be able to be here, to be able to uh, give this uh, lecture. And uh, truth is, a lot has happened uh, in this disease. Last year, at this time, uh, the 10th International Workshop was held uh, here in New York City. Um, Richard, along with um, um, uh, Leah Palumba at Memorial, helped co-chair the event. And one of the highlights for me was seeing Mort Coleman being honored with a humanitarian award that he received at the United Nations uh, at our closing ceremony. So I want to uh, particularly uh, acknowledge and uh, congratulate Mort and thank him for all his years of devotion uh, to this disease. So these are my disclosures. And I think it's important uh, to frame Waldenstrom's. Um, it pr can present in many, many different ways. Uh, for many patients, uh, it's about bulk of disease in the bone marrow mediating various cytopenias. Um, anemia is very common. It can be created because of the crowding in the bone marrow, but also because of the production of hepcidin, which is a molecule that's secreted by these tumor cells that can lead to iron deficiency anemia. And the kind of iron deficiency anemia that's created occurs because iron can't be translocated from the gut, and many times parenteral iron administration will help overcome that. That's something to keep in mind. The IgM production by the cells uh, can also produce a lot of the morbidity. If you make too much IgM, of course, this can produce hyperviscosity crisis. But also it's important to recognize that the physiochemistry of the IgM can also lead to problems such as cold agglutinemia, cryoglobulinemia. In many patients, we see IgM neuropathy. And of course, the light chain component uh, can cause amyloidosis. It's uncommon at diagnosis that you will see adenopathy or splenomegaly, but becomes more common uh, with relapsed and more advanced disease state. And then the last thing that I want to highlight is Bing-Neal syndrome. Uh, this is when Waldenstrom's gets into the CNS. This is becoming a more common problem because as patients are living longer, this is a site of late relapse. And uh, traditionally, this has been very difficult to treat. And we'll talk about some of the innovations that have occurred since. For the most part, this disease has been handled with rituxan either alone or in combination uh, with various other chemotherapies. The combinations that particularly target the plasma cell component have been very effective in combining with rituximab, leading to higher overall response rates. But you can see that the CR rates still remain relatively low. Despite that, if patients are able to achieve a VGPR or better, we do see longer progression-free survival uh, on the order of about four to six years, at least with the primary therapy of uh, Waldenstrom's with rituximab-based therapies. Now, important to keep in mind, and why innovation still is needed for this disease, is that we still see a lot of toxicities associated with some of the therapies that we use. Even rituximab itself can cause an IgM flare in about half of all patients, and if you have a high IgM level, this can you know, trigger hyperviscosity crisis. And many of the things that are associated with IgM in this disease also can get worse. With fludarabine and bendamustine, one has to be careful about secondary malignancies. More so we see this with fludarabine than we do with bendamustine. 
And bortezomib itself, even though very effective in combination with rituximab, can produce a lot more neuropathy than we've seen, even with myeloma, maybe because of the underlying neuropathic tendency. And so we've been uh, developing second and third generation proteasome inhibitors to help um, fill this void. Now, one of the pivotal moments in this disease was the discovery of a key mutation uh, in the MYD88 gene. Uh, this is a mutation which almost always involves a switch of leucine to proline at position 265, and one can see this in about 93 to 97% of all patients. Why this has been a very important uh, development is when you look at the signaling cascades that are introduced by mutated mediated this involves the upregulation of NF-kappa-B, and central uh, to this process is Bruton tyrosine kinase, which gets incorporated into the mediated complex and helps trigger NF-kappa-B. And of course, one is well familiar with the fact that there are a number of BTK inhibitors which have shown activity uh, and are being developed for Waldenstrom's, including ibrutinib, acalabrutinib, zanubrutinib, and more recently, tirabrutinib. Now, one of the interesting uh, take-homes is that MID-88 also will upregulate this SARC family member known as HCK. Normally, this is expressed in early B cells, but because of the mutation in MID-88, this triggers a number of transcription factors that actually bind to the promoter of HCK and re-upregulate it. And what HCK does is it itself can trigger BTK activation, but can also affect uh, ERK as well as the AKT survival pathways. And I'll be talking a lot more about ERK momentarily. Now, ibrutinib as well as zanubrutinib uh, have kinome profiles that actually show that they can inhibit um, HCK. And this may be one of the reasons why targeting you know, the, this disease with um, these drugs uh, may be particularly beneficial. Now, in addition to the acquisition of the MID-88 mutation, one also requires a loss of other secondary hit mutations uh, that also help support MID-88 signaling. And chromosome 6Q is one of those uh, hits, which is quite common. You can see this in about half of all Waldenstrom patients. And this actually can impact a number of interesting genes, including the inhibitor of BTK, various regulators of NF-kappa-B, as well as BCL2 suppressing BCLAF1. Now, if you don't have the 6Q mutation or loss, which you see in about half of all patients, then the other uh, mutation that you tend to see or second hit is actually CXCR4. This is actually a gene where we've seen uh, somatic mutations in 30 to 40% of all Waldenstrom patients. And its function is actually quite interesting. This is actually a receptor that signals for CXCL12 that's produced by the bone marrow stroma. When you have the mutation in CXCR4, the receptor does not downregulate in face of its ligand CXCL12, and so it continues to signal uh, through various signaling uh, pathways that include AKT and ERK. And this has been important in various modeling studies that we've done for drug resistance, including to BTK inhibitors. So it was for this reason that we were very interested in modeling um, the drug ibrutinib as a, uh, as a uh, BTK inhibitor and looking at its activity in relapsed refractory Waldenstrom's patients, but taking into account the underlying mid-88 and CXCR4 mutation status as part of the study. These are the updated results that were, pre that were just presented at ICML. 
and this is an uh, average of four years of uh, follow-up for this study. And this was a study that actually led to the approval of ibrutinib in Waldenstrom's disease. Now, what we learned from this study was we could achieve high response rates with ibrutinib, but this also depended on the underlying genomics. If you lack the mid-88 mutation, you really didn't see any major responses. If you had the mid-88 mutation, you actually saw responses, including the deep VGPR responses. But if you had also CXCR4, notice the difference there in VGPR rates. And this has also uh, been impactful in the time to, to get to those responses, which can often lag if you have the two mutations together. Now, in addition, progression-free survival was impacted. The five-year PFS for this trial was 54%. Overall survival was 87%. But if you broke it down by mid-88 and CXCR4 mutation status, you, you see some very interesting results. If you lack the mid-88 mutation, you progress very soon. If you have both, the five-year PFS was 34%, and if you had only the mid-88 mutation, it was 71%. So it becomes really a very important predictive tool in terms of understanding you know, long-term um, disease consequence. Now, Innovate was one of the studies that was mentioned in your, uh, in your survey. This is a study where ibrutinib and rituximab were compared to rituximab alone. This was really meant to be a regulatory study uh, in nature. There were 45 centers in nine countries that were um, part of this study where 150 patients were randomized. And these are the results from the study that were updated by Christian Buskey at the last ASH meeting. And what you do see here is um, you know, improvement in PFS for ibrutinib and rituxan together versus rituxan. But also what you see is earlier progression, much like we saw with the ibrutinib monotherapy study, for those patients that had the CXCR4 mutation. So this tells us we do have a CXCR4 problem. And the good news is that here, too, genomic sequencing may have given us uh, an opportunity for therapy, because there are actually antagonists to CXCR4, including ulocuplumab, which is a monoclonal antibody that binds to the receptor and it prevents the CXCL12 engagement. And so this is an ongoing study that's been supported by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, where we've been combining the CXCR4 antagonist ulocuplumab with ibrutinib and CXCR4 mutated patients. This study is still ongoing, but I want to share with you some data that we just presented also at IMW, where what we've seen now with the combination is that we can actually get patients uh, into those deep responses very early on. You know, the median time to getting there was about seven months in our frontline study. Now we're seeing this, you know, fall back in line with what we've seen in patients that only carry the mid-88 mutation alone. And so this is a very exciting development because it can really open up the door for us to use CXCR4 inhibitors uh, in this disease. And another exciting drug, which is just around the corner, is Movarexafor. This is actually an oral CXCR4 antagonist, which will be entering trial. It's a product that X4 has produced, and this will be entering in trial in combination with ibrutinib in CXCR4 mutated patients uh, very, very shortly. Now, BCL2 also has a role in Waldenstrom's disease. We tend to see high BCL2 levels, particularly in those mid-88 mutated patients, regardless of underlying CXCR4 mutation status. And this is a very interesting study that was uh, published by Dr. Yang Kao in our group in BGH um, almost five years ago, 
where she actually showed that if you used um, ibrutinib along with venetoclax, ABT199, you could actually see synergistic uh, killing, you know, mediated by the apoptotic markers as shown here, regardless of CXCR4 uh, mutation status. And so in our group, we've been very interested in the role of venetoclax in previously treated patients. This is a study that's been led by my colleague, uh, Jorge Castillo, but also has involved investigators such as Rick Furman and John Allen here at Cornell, as well as uh, at City of Hope with Tanya Siddiqui. And this has been a very exciting uh, trial where the overall response rate was 90%. Major responses were achieved in 83% of patients. And this occurred in patients regardless of prior BTK uh, exposure, um, as well as CXCR4 mutation status, though prior BTK inhibitor exposure and having the CXCR4 mutation did lead to fewer very good partial responses. We, the 18-month uh, PFS for this trial is 82%, and you do see that those individuals that have had a prior BTK inhibitor do show earlier um, uh, progression of uh, disease. So for this reason, uh, we are very interested in developing ibrutinib along with venetoclax in combination. Uh, this is a trial which will be opening up very shortly in treatment-naive patients, where patients will get definitive therapy, um, duration therapy, for two years with the combination, and then uh, therapy will be stopped and the patients uh, will be observed. Now, another very interesting uh, basic science development has come about because of an interesting paper um, that we had the opportunity uh, to publish with uh, Leah Palumba at Memorial. One of the things, one of the features of Waldenstrom's that we have observed is chronic active B-cell receptor uh, signaling. And so we've been very interested in trying to figure out whether or not mutated mediate is able to, uh, you know, impact the BCR pathway. This is work which uh, is currently in uh, review, but we presented it at ASH, where we're actually able to show that the seek component of BCR actually complexes uh, with mediate. More importantly, when you look at mutated mediate, it actually can trigger activation of PSEQ. And this is important because Seek actually controls both AKT as well as STAT3, both very important growth and survival pathways. So this really does extend now the reach of MID88 even further and gives us an understanding of why we see that aberrant BCR signaling. So if we have drugs like um, ibrutinib and zanubrutinib that actually can take down BTK and AKT um, and ERK through the uh, HCK pathway, we're still left with this unopposed uh, seek-related signaling. And so we've been very interested in looking at models combining seek inhibitors along with ibrutinib, and we're able to show that both in Waldenstrom's as well as uh, mediate mutated ABCDLBCL cells, that you can in fact achieve synergistic tumor cell killing when you combine a seek inhibitor along with ibrutinib in these particular diseases. And so this is one of the areas that I think we have the opportunity to further extend ibrutinib uh, activity. In the last few slides, I really want to talk about BTK mutations. Um, this was actually one of your quiz questions as well. The BTK cis481 mutations, which we've seen in CLL, thanks to the work of uh, Rick and others, uh, also occurs in Waldenstrom's patients. And when you see these uh, mutations in patients that are progressing, what's very startling is that the same patient can have multiple different types of BTK mutations. And so this tells us that there's 
pathway is under a lot of pressure, selective pressure. And most typically, this occurs in those individuals that have the CXCR4 mutation. So modeling that actually was done in our laboratory using this uh, mutation and inserting it in these mediated mutated Waldenstroms in ABCDLBCL cells showed something very interesting, that the ERK pathway was upregulated uh, in uh, these cells. And if you used actually an ERK inhibitor, you could actually kill these cells uh, in the presence of ibrutinib. Now, one of the interesting facts about ERK is that it controls a number of inflammatory cytokines. So when you insert the um, BTK cis481 mutation into these mediated mutated cells, you see upregulation of a number of different inflammatory cytokines that include IL-10, IL-6, as well as TNF-alpha. These are very interesting cytokines because they can actually trigger um, regulatory pathways that can oppose uh, ibrutinib activity. And so one of the questions that we've had, and it actually goes back to a clinical observation, not only in Waldenstrom's but CLL, and that is that when you see the BTK cis mutation in these patients, often it's the minority of the cells that have the mutation, and yet the disease is progressing forward. So one of the questions that we had was, is it possible that these inflammatory cytokines that are triggered uh, by ERK in the setting of the BTK cis mutation could these inflammatory cytokines be somehow subverting all the other cells that don't have the mutation but are in the neighborhood? And to be able to examine this, we ended up doing these co-culture experiments where on one side of the membrane, uh, we ended up putting BTK wild-type cells as reporters, and on the other side, we either put BTK wild-type cells or the BTK mutated cells, and we added ibrutinib to these cultures. And what you see here is that when there was no mutation present, on either side of the membrane and you added ibrutinib, the cells died. If you had the mutated cells on one side and the BTK wild type on the other and you added ibrutinib, they all survived. And the way we know that IL-6 and IL-10 was involved in particular is that when we added anti-IL-6 or anti-IL-10 antibodies, we were able to cause death of those BTK wild type cells. So this is really a very interesting experiment because it shows how these mutated cells can cross-talk with one another through inflammatory cytokines and help propel uh, ibrutinib uh, resistance. And so the model going forward that we're going to be looking at is rather than stopping ibrutinib in these patients that are progressing with these BTK cis mutations, the model here would be that we would actually add an ERK inhibitor that can target those BTK cis mutated cells. And so this is a study that will be uh, uh, launching very shortly with the oral ERK inhibitor that Eli Lilly has uh, developed uh, in CLL, Waldenstrom's, MZL, as well as MCL disease. One other uh, point that is also important to recognize is that maybe we can go after HCK in these diseases. And so instead of, you know, when patients develop a BTK cis mutation, um, you know, thinking about other non-covalent inhibitors, maybe we can target HCK. And there is actually a very potent HCK inhibitor, and that's disatinib. And so this is a trial that, we're gonna, that we'll be opening very, very shortly. This was actually funded by Dunkin' Donuts through one of their uh, breakthrough mechanisms, uh, looking at disatinib in patients with BTK cis-mutated uh, Waldenstrom's disease. A few words on some of the other uh, BTK inhibitors, acalabrutinib. Um, this has um, been a BTK inhibitor that has been examined in Waldenstrom's. We've seen 
very high levels of activity, and very similar side effect profiles uh, as we have seen also with ibrutinib. And one of the exciting new BTK inhibitors is zanubrutinib. This is a um, update of the study presented uh, at EHA in 2019 of uh, phase two data involving 73 patients where very high uh, response rates were seen, but particularly notable was the high levels of VGPR that were observed. This may have to do with the fact that the kinome profile is different uh, from ibrutinib, but may also reflect as well the twice-a-day dosing versus once-a-day dosing that we see uh, with ibrutinib. And currently, there is a phase three study, uh, which is now fully enrolled, looking at zanubrutinib versus ibrutinib as monotherapy in Waldenstrom's uh, disease. This involves both relapse refractory and treatment-naive patients um, with mediated-mutated uh, disease, and the results are uh, awaited shortly. So in concluding here, I think we have really the opportunity today to leverage genomics to even come up with a precision way of treating uh, patients with Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia. And central to this is being able to obtain mediated and CXCR4 mutation status. Those patients that actually have um, the mediated mutation alone um, can be best served with a BTK inhibitor. We often think about bendamustine for patients with extramedullary disease or bulky adenopathy or proteasome inhibitor-based uh, regimens in the alternative for those with uh, paraprotein-related problems. If patients have both mutations, one of the things to keep in mind is that these are going to be the individuals that present with hyperviscosity. CXCR4 tends to drive that. And so the decision tree for you will be whether you need an immediate response or if a later response can be achieved. And this is where, once again, you can leverage genomics. If you have somebody that needs a rapid response, you might not want to think about a BTK inhibitor because there's this delay in response. But in those where you don't need a rapid response, a BTK inhibitor, perhaps with rituximab, because we have seen a truncation of time to response, can be thought of. And lastly, for those patients that are double wild type, their genomics tend to be driven by very, very different mutations, often that align themselves with uh, aggressive lymphomas. And here, you know, either using bendamustine or proteasome inhibitor-based therapy can be considered. In the relapsed refractory setting, one can also leverage genomics, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that, you know, autotransplant can be considered, especially in those individuals with multiple relapses and chemosensitive uh, disease. I just want to actually just show you this one last slide because Steve Allen, um, um, you know, some time ago we shared a patient who had probably one of the worst cases of Bing-Neal syndrome. Um, and you can see here the profile by both MRI and PET-CT. And, uh, you know, this was an individual um, that we treated with higher dose ibrutinib, 560 a day. And concurrently we actually obtained CSF and blood levels of both ibrutinib as well as its primary active metabolite. And we were able to show that, in fact, CSF levels could be achieved that were sufficient to actually, you know, uh, enable response. And uh, in this uh, case, we got a very gratifying, long-enduring response. And subsequent to that, we published a long series uh, in, uh, in blood of additional uh, cases of Bing-Neal syndrome. So something that used to be very, very difficult to treat you know, now has become very easy to treat or much easier to treat uh, in the setting of uh, ibrutinib. So I just want to summarize uh, by saying that, you know, the genomic sequencing has enabled us to 
you know, learn about mutated mediated enabling new BTK inhibitors, to learn about mutated CXCR4, you know, allowing us now to develop uh, CXCR4-targeted therapy. Modeling of the mutations in BTK have also given us insights into ERK as well as HCK inhibitors. So I think this really represents a, um, a, a great disease, you know, if one thinks about how genomics can be leveraged to help produce, you know, uh, new therapeutics. And if you're interested in learning more about Waldenstrom's, next year will be your opportunity for the 11th International Workshop, which will be held in Madrid, Spain, uh, in October. And with that, I want to thank you once again, Rick, and thank you, Mort, for your kind invitation and the opportunity to present this data. Thank you.